As you know, last week we began this, uh, this series of, of studies, and out of about eight pages of single-space notes, I think we got to four. So we, we're going to have to do a lot to cover uh, lecture one, which is on bibliology, the study of the doctrine of what? Somebody help me. Of the Bible, of Scripture. And then uh, later this morning, we're going to get to study a theology proper. When I say theology proper, what, what do you think that might mean? Study of God. That's right. Theos in Greek and ology means the study of, of God. And really, that's what systematic theology is. It is studying God as he is revealed in Scripture, and also it's studying whatever the Bible says on any, on any subject. And last time I told you there are really two different thoughts about that. One is what Gruden believes is studying just what the Scripture says about that particular doctrine, whereas others, folks that I've studied systematic theology under at school, they like to take a, a different approach and say, yes, let's study what Scripture says, but also let's study what these theologians and these historians and what they had to say. You systematize them, you bring them together, and you codify them in this, in this study. Uh, somebody asked me last week, had some good questions last week, by the way, and we uh, got some good answers for you, and I think we've given those answers uh, out, but if you uh, had a question last week, you felt like it was not answered, we'll be glad to, to help you with that. One of the questions was, hey, as um, so all these theologians, Laurie, all these scholars, who, you know, which ones do we read, which ones do we do not? And I found something for you. I think you're going to be very blessed and find uh, something that we, a friend of mine has created. And if you'll see me after the class, I'll give that to you. Also, came across some great answers on the seven ecumenical councils. And I've uh, got a great synopsis on that, as well as when the book chapters and verses came in. And there's a good answer for that as well, beginning around the 12th. Uh, 12th century, uh, but especially uh, on into the 15th, well, the 15th and the 12th, and you can see it uh, when they begin to put the book chapters and the, and the verses in. All right, well, I'm ready. I'm excited to get going this morning. I'm going to pray because I always like to begin a class with prayer, and then uh, we will we'll dive right back into the first study. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Father, we give you praise this early Thursday morning. We, uh, God, we recognize that if we didn't, that even the nature itself would scream out the holiness of God, the justice of God, the amazingness of God. And so we as your creatures, Lord, created in your very image, we want to be the first today to say how much we love you, God, and adore you, and we thank you for, your, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray now that as we study it, May it be life, Lord, to us. May it be health to us. And Lord, I pray today that you would encourage someone in their walk with you. And that, Lord, they will walk away today saying, God, that's exactly what I needed to hear from you about you today. And Lord, we know only you can do that. So we pray that you would do that. We also ask you, Lord, to use me and help me to be able to be clear and to be able to communicate the truth, God, that you would have me to communicate. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go to 7.30, maybe a little longer, 7.30 in teaching, because I may not give you as much time to ask questions because, well, I'm, I'm behind. Uh, yesterday, I had a great time. Oh, I can't, you know, I love studying these doctrines. I got to Christology yesterday, and I typed for a couple hours a lecture. Woo! Can't wait to study the doctrine and person of Christ. But let's get back to the Scriptures. Last time, we left off with the characteristic of Scripture, and we said, uh, number one or A, the authority of Scripture. How do we know that the Bible is God's Word? 
we said, number one, the Bible claims divine authorship. We looked at that. Number two, we are convinced that the Bible is God's word even as we read it. We sense that there's something very dynamic, something very special about this book we hold in our hands. And this is where we left off was on point number three, other evidences that point to biblical uh, authority. And by the way, I'm just going to go real fast because after today, we can unleash all eight pages of these, this manuscript. So if you felt like you, you missed one point or you missed the scripture, it's okay. If you will uh, contact us, we will give you uh, this, this manuscript and, uh, and you can go and teach it sometime. Wouldn't that be funny? You say, no, I said, there's no way I could teach systematic theology. Let me, let me say this to you. You're a far better theologian than what you realize. We, our church is full of great theological minds. And I think sometimes the devil just intimidates us. I don't have this degree, or I, don't, I can't do this, or I'm not doing that. Hey, listen, Steve Cromer, I see you out there. I'll tell you, my wife came back out of your Bible life class and said, let me tell you something about that guy. That guy can flat out teach the Bible. And I said, Steve Cromer. No, I didn't say I said, Steve Cromer, that's right, gifted mind. We, we can do this. All right, we left off with this part right here. I was talking about how... Uh, Grudem has such an incredibly high view of Scripture, and this was so refreshing to me throughout uh, reading this chapter on the, the doctrine of the Bible. It's very clear where he comes out on bibliology. He believes that there will never be a fact that turns up that will contradict what the Bible has to say. Now, that, that's pretty bold. I, I, I admit that's bold, but that's exactly what he believes. He says, quote, No fact will ever turn up that God did not know about, ages ago, and he takes this into account, or he took it into account, when he caused Scripture uh, to be written, end of quote. It is our final authority. We humble ourselves before the Word of God, and God teaches us, God speaks to us as we, as we humble ourselves uh, before Him. He has a whole chapter in chapter 5, and by the way, his, this, is what the, this is what the big boy looks like. This thing weighs more than I do. It is heavy, and I lug this thing around with me now for weeks, and I'm going to you in just a few sentences the whole chapter that he wrote on inerrancy. He wrote a whole chapter on the inerrancy of Scripture. When you think of the word inerrancy, what are some words that pop into your mind? Somebody says, people talk about the Bible is inerrant. What does that mean? Help me. It has no errors. Or we also heard the word infallibility. It has no fallibleness to its, to its nature. He defines it this way. He says, the inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary uh, to fact. Studying and comparing the ancient manuscripts has not led to confusion and doubt, but an overwhelming authenticity and confirmation of what we have. Um, think about this with me as we talk about inerrancy and think about God's Word and its trustworthiness, its clarity, and how God has preserved it. There's a, there's a discipline of study called textual criticism. It's where you get the, the oldest manuscripts that you can find and you juxtapose them. You compare the ancient manuscripts with what we have. Listen to this statement. Ooh, this is good. This was worth getting up early for. When we say that the original manuscripts were inerrant, we are implying that over 99% of the words in our present manuscripts are also inerrant for they are exact copies of the original. I tell you, what you hold in your hand, if anybody tries to tell you, well, that's not really the Bible that Paul had. No, no, it is. It is because through painstaking, detailed research, contrast, comparison, we have the Scripture. You say, well, what, that 99%, what, is, what, what do you mean by that? 
like I said last week, there are sometimes some, some numbers, like in First, um, 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, you'll see that there are uh, some discrepancies in the, in the numbers. And so there, it's very minuscule. There's never a doctrine that is compromised through Scripture because it is God's Word. I bring this little resource um, to you today. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was called The Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible by John Haley. I like this because, and it's pretty thick because it goes through the different examples where people say, oh, but the Bible says this here, but it says it over there. It's in error. And Haley says, no, you shouldn't say it's in error, but you should say they are alleged errors or alleged discrepancies. I find myself going back to this, uh, and it's, it's pretty cheap. You can, I think you can get it for $85. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Good stuff. Okay, let's go to B, a clarity, the clarity of Scripture. And here are your, your outline. This is where we are. We looked at authority. Now we're under B, the clarity of Scripture. And the question we put out beside it is, can only Bible scholars understand the Bible correctly? I'm just going to give a big resounding answer to that rhetorical question. The answer is, can only Bible scholars understand? No. Not just Bible scholars, theologians, historians, whatever. The, the, the child of God who has the Spirit of God living within her is easily can understand the Scripture. You say, well, I, I contend with you, Brother Danny, about that word easily because that book is not easy to understand. Check this out. If you'll be disciplined and diligent and ask the Spirit of God to speak to you and allow God to speak through teachers and others, I, I promise you, you can understand this book and you can, you can apply it to your life. Um, this, these are our outlines today. And... Uh, if also, it reminds me, our books, the little Christian beliefs books, uh, they are in. And so if you ordered one, Kathy Jones sitting up here front, she has those, and um, she will sell those to you because she's got a few extra, but a lot of you have already uh, bought those. And uh, so good deal. All right, the clarity of Scripture, can only Bible scholars understand it? No. Uh, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. And here's why I know this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's known as the great Shema. The, the, the Hebrew word for hear or listen is Shema. And so when Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then listen to this. He says, And teach these truths, teach this law to your children. When they rise up, when they go to sleep, when they walk along the way, make sure you ingrain and instill these truths to your children. Now, he's talking to not Bible scholars or theologians or historians. He's talking about parents. Psalm 19.7 says this, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Let me say that again. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise uh, the simple. When we fail to understand the Bible or we feel that it's contradictory or it's too hard, the problem does not lie in Scripture. The problem lies in the one interpreting Scripture. I'm a big proponent of hermeneutics. I love hermeneutics. That is the art and discipline of studying the Bible. Now watch this, guys. Have you ever noticed that the way you approach the Bible determines a lot of what you're going to get out of the Bible? You're about to go rub shoulders with people in Austin and people that are watching us on the Internet, by the way. Hello. Bless you. Thank you for watching us. We had 70 computers open with us last... When did we meet last one? Thursday. That's what it was. Last Thursday. That's 70. I know of one computer terminal. There were at least four Sheffields at that. How many? Four? Doug, are you here? 
Amen. Four. Four of them. Hey, Sheffields, as y'all get ready to study class this morning. And so, um, don't know why I said that, but let me get back to my notes. I'll figure it out. Okay, good. Um, yeah, the, I, I really want to try to communicate to you this morning that the Scripture is clear. We can understand it. We can take it. You, but the way you approach Scripture a lot of times will determine what it says to you. Because if you're humble and you say, God, you know more than I do, this is your authoritative word, and then you will receive it. But if you, if you put yourself above Scripture and then look only for problems and errors, then God says, listen to this, God, God just doesn't tolerate pride, especially intellectual, theological pride. So as you humble yourself under the word of God, he will, he will speak to you. And in, in his definition of clarity, he points out that all who read the Bible can understand it if they seek God's help and be willing to follow uh, what he tells them. And then he makes this little different, hard statement. He says, we probably would understand more if we applied what we claim we already know. How about that? Maybe God doesn't reveal more to us because we're, we're obstinate in what he has already revealed to us and we're not obeying what he's already told us. Why would he tell us, tell us more? It's a good point. By the way, he preaches a lot in this book. He gets on me. He gets up in my spiritual grill and I just have to say, man, this is... This is intense, and the reason I like it is because it's very, it's very biblical. All right. Let's go to the next point. The necessity of Scripture. C. For what purposes are the Bible necessary? The necessity of Scripture. He says that it's necessary. The Bible is necessary for the following reasons. For us to know the gospel, to grow in our spiritual walk, okay, and to know God's will. To know the gospel, grow in our spiritual walk, to know God's will, but not necessarily to know that God exists. Think about that statement for just a minute. The Bible is necessary to know the gospel, but it's not necessary to know that God exists. In other words, you can know that there is a supreme, intelligent creator being without a copy of the Bible. You say, how do you know that? Because that's exactly what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says without special, specific revelation, if you have, and I'm going to add just a little bit here, but if you have the IQ of plant life, I would say, you can look up and go, wow, I mean, somebody did this. The constants in physics, just the, the chemistry, just the, uh, I mean, just the design, the beauty. And, and Paul says, God shouts to us just by the very acts of, of, of creation. And that's in Romans uh, chapter 1. I like Grudem at, this, at Grudem at this point because he differentiates between general revelation and, and special revelation. He says, God has not left us without a witness. He shouts to us in multiple ways that he is and that he is indeed powerful. Now, in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, you cannot be saved through general revelation. And by the way, we talked about this. It's so, it's so interesting to me how so many things I'm saying out there in big church I'm learning and I'm speaking in, in Little Church in our Thursday morning class. God reveals himself through general revelation, through nature. Anybody? Through conscience and through history. All right? That, that's called general revelation. But a person cannot be saved through general revelation, through nature, history, and conscience. They have to have special revelation. Uh, Jesus says that these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to the Father but by me. And in Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So therefore, the Bible 
is absolutely critical and necessary to know Christ and to grow in the Christian faith. Listen to this, guys. If we had no Bible, we have no Christian faith. I mean, really think about that. If we don't have a Bible, if we don't have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus, we, we know very, very little about him. Now, I know there are some ancient references to him, and I know there are some, some emperors and some letters that emperors wrote to others, and Jesus is in there, and you can, you can find Jesus in these uh, antiquity, but without the Bible, we do not understand. We do not know who he is. Oh, Deuteronomy 32, 47 says about the Bible, it says, it is your life. The Bible is our very life. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, I love this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And by the way, time out for just a second. He uses that verse about more than any other verse in the Bible. He uses Deuteronomy 29, 29. And he is a systematic theologian with a blah, 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 Harvard... Westminster, Cambridge, Ph.D. This guy says there are going to be some things about the nature of God and about how awesome he is that you're just not going to understand, okay? Because the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But that's not all the verse. The rest of the verse says, but these things that we do know are revealed and they belong to us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. All right? God reveals himself. He reveals himself through nature, history, conscience. He reveals himself specifically through the Word of God, the written Word of God, the Bible, and the living Word of God, uh, Jesus Christ. Okay? And there are other um, arguments or, or, or ways that God reveals himself. And, you know, I was talking to somebody um, oh, was my, in our pit group yesterday. We were a group of pastors. We meet once a month for fellowship and encouragement and accountability. It's really fun being in a small group with other pastors. And, uh, amen, it's, it's fun. Just, just a group of pastors. And they're all excited about this experiencing uh, God, exploring God. And, and, and Fred, it was, just, it was just neat being in there and just comparing notes and sermons. And, and one of them said, I'm just blown away by the fact that everybody who's ever been born has a sense of what's right and wrong. Deep within their souls, they, they know inherently, intrinsically, that something is right and something else is wrong. And we were just talking about how that's the moral argument for the existence of God. That sense of oughtness, that sense of, I know I should be doing this, I know I should not be doing this. And, and, and C.S. Lewis said, that alone is enough to make a person a theist. Because evolution natural selection, mass mutation, just the rational world could never produce or create beauty, aesthetics, joy, harmony, love. It's impossible. Some, somebody had to do that. You ever thought about that? Just think about the word love or joy or peace. How can atoms and cells and that, you know what I'm saying? How can it create that? There is a God. There's a God who, he's like, he's just like shouting at us. says, I am, I am real. Look at me, know me, even, even through my created works. So a sense of oughtness, general revelation. Oh, listen to this quote, guys. This is, this is good. But how the holiness and justice of God can ever be reconciled with his willingness to forgive sins is a mystery that has never been solved by any religion outside the Bible. 
How can this awesome, intelligent creator be? How could he, why would he ever look at me, a mere mortal, a sinful human being? How in the world could I ever know him? How could I ever fellowship with him? He is so transcendent. He is so otherworldly, and I'm so meek and lowly. How in the world could I ever reach him? You can't reach him. He has to come down and reach us. And that's the beauty of Christianity. No, all the other world religions are reaching up to God to please God and, and, and say, oh, but I, I'll please you so that you'll honor me and you'll love me. Jesus said that's impossible. That's why he comes. That's why he dies so that we, we can be reconciled to this holy God. Man, all of it's right here in the Bible. Let, let me give you D. This is the sufficiency of Scripture, and then we're going to wrap up bibliology, okay? Is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to know and is the Bible enough for us to think what God wants us to think? Absolutely it is. In his definition of sufficiency, he says the Word of God contained all the words God wanted us to have, this is very good, through each redemptive stage of history. And it contains all the words that we now need for salvation, for trusting Him, and obeying Him. I'm going to be a little dogmatic on y'all here for just a minute, okay? And I, I never do this. I'm, I'm just very meek in what I believe. No, I'm really firm in what I believe. We need the Bible, and we don't need anything else. Not everybody believes that. Some say you need the Bible in Roman Catholic dogma, the doctrine of the church. Others people say, no, you need the Bible, but you need the Apostles' Creed. I don't know anybody who says this, but there may be somebody who says, no, no, we need the Bible and the Baptist faith and message. By the way, we're not creedal, confessional people. We are a people of this book. We really believe it is inerrant, it is God's gift to us, and it's not Mary Baker Eddy who says, oh, you need the Bible and science and health with the key to the Scriptures. No, I don't. I don't need your key to the Scriptures. Well, Joseph Smith says, and, and the Mormons told me not long ago, yeah, we get that and we have this. Okay, this is the Bible, but here's what you really got to have. Ooh, let me put it on you. And she whips out this book of Moroni. When Moroni the angel came down and gave to Joseph Smith, this is okay, but you really need is this. And I just said, no, I don't. Because the Bible says this book is closed. John says if you add anything in the book of Revelation, if you add anything, by the way, that just happens to be the last book in the canon of Scripture, if you add anything, then you are in big trouble and God doesn't look upon it very kindly. Why are you so passionate, Brother Danny, about the Bible? Why every Sunday you preach 45 minutes and you go right through the Bible because it is the Word of God. And today, more than anything else, oh, blessed church, more than anything else, we need a renewal and an appreciation for the Scriptures. We know the Scriptures are God's Word, but are we living the Scriptures? Are they saturating our life? Are we blind? You with me? Or, when we, somebody asks us a question, is, is, is there a spiritual filter called the Bible whereby we interpret everything? We had an atheist in our group last Sunday night. It was awesome! I mean, our Explore God Bible study, a guy came in, he's, you Cal Berkeley, and I'm an atheist. What's your name? And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I almost wanted to go over and touch him. Like, I don't know many of you. I, I'm just kind of feeling you. You're a real human being, you know. And, and man, we loved on this guy. And, man, he has all these arguments against God and against the Bible. And I'm just sitting over there going, I'm literally shaking. Going, I can't say 
Because I want to say so much. You know, and finally I said, I just got to say a few things. Okay, and so I, I, I would talk, but that's why they didn't have it in my house. They said, we don't want you to have it in your house. You'll talk too much. We'll have it over here. But isn't that, isn't that great, though? And explore God that we have people like an atheist coming and saying, hey, I'm open. Is this God real? And by the way, I watched him move out of atheism to becoming an agnostic right before my very eyes. It was amazing. And it wasn't my theoretical, theological uh, uh, knowledge that blew him away. You know what it was? It was the love in that little small group, and it was the testimony of how Jesus Christ had saved. And he said, well, you know what? I, I think I can kind of see that. And he moved from atheism right over into agnosticism. I, I really believe there aren't any atheists in the world. I just believe there's a lot of hurt people. The sufficiency of Scripture is sufficient for these reasons. Number one, and because it's sufficient, it ought to encourage us to study it diligently and to think about what it has to say on every doctrine and in every situation. You say, Brother Dan, can you repeat that? No, because it's in the manuscript. <laughs> okay. Some of you going, hmm. this makes me mad. I'm serious. I'm going to give you the whole thing, the whole, the whole shebang here, all right? Uh, whatever that means. Okay, number two, the Bible is sufficient for us and no other writings or someone's views are on equal plane with Scripture. Okay, we talked about that. Well, man. Authority, clarity, necessity, sufficiency. I'm grateful, grateful for the Word of God. Um, the devil did everything in his power to make sure that it was not written, and now he will do everything in his power for people not to get a hold of it, and he will do everything in his power to keep you and me from, from reading it and understanding it. I was reading in The Insanity of God, Mike, at books just messed me up. It's an amazing book on missions. In The Insanity of God, there was a group in China, and they, they would come together, and one of the, the highlights, the highlights of their meeting, they would come so eager because someone would bring a Bible, and there would be probably a couple hundred people, and they were just like, the Word of God, the Word of God. And they would take that Bible, and they would tear off a couple pages and give it to him. Say, thank you. Say, thank you so much. They had a page. They had a page. And, 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 and somebody said, I got the Gospel of John. Another guy said, I got Leviticus. It's okay. You know, they're just like, yes, I got a piece of the Word of God. And they would take that back to their little congregations. <laughs> and that congregation would get Leviticus for a year or John. And that's how much they appreciated. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, many of us can write the word condemned on the dust of our Bibles. Because we have it and we don't, we don't read it. We don't cherish it. I tell you, I am pitiful without this book. I, I left to myself, I am absolutely no good. That's why this morning... I'm reading the book of Proverbs. I'm reading the book of Isaiah. How can I stand and talk to you unless I first stood and talked with God and immerse my mind in this book? Let me, ask you, let me ask you this. How can you go out there in a much more difficult place than here without first having met him in his word and met him on your knees? That was free. Okay. Let's move on to doctrine number two. Oh, my. Theology proper. I tell you guys, y'all going to have to calm me down on this one because I, I want you to know something. I love to learn. And Grudem taught me so much 
that I did not know about the nature of God. Okay, now we, we have an outline here for you, the doctrine of God. And we've left a big blank at the bottom because there are lots of characteristics and attributes of God that we want you to jot these down. And, you know, I, I was talking to Ashley the other day and I said, okay, I am going to quit using the word awesome. I am. If y'all hear me say, that ball game was awesome, go, Brother Dan, you said you weren't going to use that word anymore. And I'm going to say, thank you for reminding me because God is awesome. He is beyond words. And, and the best word that, that I can even think of is something that is so grand or so amazing that's so otherworldly is that word awe, awestruck, awesome. And, and when I read these chapters, and, and, and I, I knew a lot of it, you know, but a lot of it I didn't know. I just didn't, I had not thought about the fact that God created time. He's outside time. Everything is with God. Everything is past, present, future. It's all before Him. There is no place in this vast universe that He does not in His total being exist. God never forgets anything. He never has to learn anything. He is. He just is. He is. He's what? Help me. He's awesome. He's almighty. He is this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as He is revealed to us through the sacred writings, Scriptures. So let's... And today's lesson is not on the Trinity. I think that's next, next week. Maybe next week. or Three or four weeks. You know what I'm saying? But God exists. Let's begin, let's begin there. In my message Sunday, you know, I shared with you that uh, I, I believe that the Bible just a priori is what the theologians call it. A priori. It's prior to. It just assumes that you know that God does exist. And I couldn't say this and explore God in the sermon out there, but I can say that here among the home folk. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool has said in his heart. Anybody? There is no God. There is no God. So he does exists. His existence is just assumed. In Genesis 1.1, it does not say, in the beginning, God wrote this book so that you may, he could prove to you without any... No, it says, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens uh, and the earth. I really believe it takes more effort to believe and not to believe, or to be an atheist, or an agnostic, or a skeptic. Uh, Grudem tells the true story, not in your little, little book, but in, the big, in the, big bo the big boy here. This is a big book, by the way, if I told y'all. And uh, Bill Buskirk, are you here this morning? Thought I saw you. Bill, don't you have this book, don't you? Bill has two of these books, and he offered one to me. And so I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give it to somebody here. Is that okay? Are you good with that? For $40? Okay. Okay. I'm just kidding. How many, would you, raise your hand if you're in here today and say, I don't have that book, and I would really like to have that book. Okay. No, it's free. I mean, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Raise it up high. All right, high. Okay. How many of you have a birthday in September? I see that hand. Anybody else a birthday in September? Would you stand, please? Stand up. Somebody's about to get blessed. Oh, September babies. Here we go. All right, we've got to find out. Today is September the 20th. Is that right? Like I said, it's early. The 19th. Oh, no, please stand. Please stand. All right, how, how, whose birthday is the closest to this day of the 19th? Tell me what your birthday is. The 8th? 
Oh, 14? 14. What? <laughs> no, no, I'm ready for this. Here's what I'm going to do. Okay. No, I'm not tearing up any pages. You get the one from Bill Buster, and I'm Miss Eunice. I'm going to get you one. All right. We're going to get. So you're going to get a systematic theology book, a big one. All right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give those to you. All right. Thank you, Bill. I had no idea I was going to do that, but I just did. So, um, and anybody else that wants one, just ask Bill. He'll buy you one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, brother. All right, here we go, here we go. Um, he's, he's riding down the road, and, and, and there's this, he's, he's a young man, and there are other college students in the car with him. True story happened to Wayne Grudem. And they were debating the existence of God. And this young lady, she was just, I mean, she was adamant, she was eloquent. She said, no way. I don't believe in God, I don't think God has revealed himself, and I surely don't think there's this innate, intrinsic, hardwired DNA where this God has created us and he created me in such a way that I would long for him. I don't believe that. And all of a sudden, they're driving down the road and the car hits some ice on the road and it begins to spin uncontrollably and, and pounds into this bank, embankment of snow. And as the car was spinning, that same girl said, Oh, Jesus, save me. But she don't believe, you know. She doesn't believe. She, no, no, no. It, it, yeah. I, think there are, I don't think there are any atheists, really. I think deep down inside, we know that we know that he really does exist. We have to try hard to squelch the, 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 the evidence. God has not left himself without witness or evidence. He has revealed himself. We talked about this. Nature, history, conscience, Bible, Jesus. Okay? Let me, let me give you the four classical arguments for the existence of God. I, I'm, I'm encouraged that I get to teach you this. Some of this you already know. But I, I want you to take this with you and tuck this in your mind because you will be able to use these four classical arguments. I think most of them are from Thomas Aquinas, the systematic theologian in the Middle Ages. And, uh, and, and let me give you these. Number one is the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Okay? We're under point one, God exists. I think it's on the screen. There it is. Cosmos in the Greek is what? World, universe. And the cosmological argument would go like this. Everything has a cause. If there's an effect, there had to be a cause. And surely this cosmos just couldn't have just erupted out of nothing. It has to have a cause. And so we believe that cause is the first cause, and that would be God. Number two is the teleological argument. A teleos in Greek is purpose or design. Teleos means purpose or design. So the teleological argument would go like this. In a universe that shows so much harmony, so much balance, so many constant laws and order, just think about the law of physics, the law of thermodynamics, the, the law of just all these, I think there are 12 of these actually. So who, who, how did this happen? It could not have just appeared. There has to be an intelligent God who created it, Therefore, the teleological argument for the existence of God. It is kind of under a subset of the cosmological, but it's a little different because, yes, we have a cosmos, but not only do we have a cosmos, this cosmos is, is, is incredible. I mean, it, it, it's just hardwired with all these laws, and, and, and not to mention us and how, how incredibly complex and amazing we are as his creation. Number three is the ontological argument. It's from the Greek word ont, O-N-T, means essence or being. 
And the best way I can describe this after reading it and studying it and studying it is this. That in the mind of man, there exists a perfect being. In his mind, he can, he can create in his mind that there is an eternal, incredible, awesome, perfect being. And because a, a mere mortal man could have such a thought, that thought must exist. That thought is God. Now, by the way, all these have weaknesses. And for some of my engineer friends out there, you're going, that, I could do this, this, and this. I know that. that and these are, not, these are not irreversible proofs. These are just helps that we can give to people. And, of, of course, the last one is the moral argument, which is my favorite. The moral argument is man has this innate sense of right and wrong, a longing for justice to be done. There must be a God who is right and who is never wrong, and who does justice. So God, God exists. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir. Literally, we believe in the existence of God, or else we would not uh, be here. But I, 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 let me give you the Adrian Rogers quote. This is pretty good. He was talking to an atheist one time, and, and the atheist just adamant, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't believe in God. And Adrian Rogers, as only he could do, would say something like this, Herb. He would say, well, let me ask you a question. How much do you know? I mean, you're a very intelligent person. How much do you, he said, what do you mean, how much do I know? I mean, no, he said, like, everything. From physics to history to chemistry to arithmetic to everything. All, all knowledge in the world. How much do you know? A percent? And the guy's like, I guess not. I mean, a percent, that would be like crazy genius. He said, could God exist in the 99% that you don't know? And he, he does. Again, I think we have to very, be very adamant and very determined to close, to close off. You know, I found out this week Richard Dawkins is uh, the, the, the best uh, evangelist out there today in, in atheism. And my son, who is taking uh, a biology of the Austin Community College, I knew this day was coming. Leighton is very firm in his faith, and he is not afraid to speak up. And I knew this day was coming. You got a uh, liberal ACC, and you got this young conservative young man in there, and I get the phone call. He says, Dad, it happened. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes, the professor said, the, book, the Old Testament is a bunch of myth, a bunch of metaphor. You can't believe it. It's not true. And Leighton says, how do you know that? And for 20 minutes, they go on about evolution and God and so forth. And now, at, at the end of every class, she, she closes the class this way. Are there any questions, Leighton? And he's like, no. And he said, you know, Dad, my teacher says Richard Dawkins is a jerk. And that he is really not a genuine scientist. He's just, he's just mean. And he is, he is vicious against just the fundamentals of the, of the faith. I think if you peel it back, I think Richard Dawkins is a hurt person. And hurt people hurt people, you ever noticed. Okay, so we're talking about God exists. Number two, God is knowable. He, is, he can be known. Jesus said in John 14, 9, woo, listen to this. John 14, 9, he who has seen me, somebody help me. Isn't that amazing? If you see me, you know him. You see him. And, and God has made himself known through, throughout the Bible, throughout the Holy Scriptures. And we desperately need the Bible, check this out, or else we would come to false conclusions who God is as seen in multiple religions. Okay, you, you deduce from whatever person and their teaching and their writings, you have a, a misunderstanding of who God is if you don't have his word. Uh, Psalm 145.3 says his, oh, listen, this, this is one of those, aha, 
This was a good one for me. Grudem argues that even in heaven with no sin, we will still be unable to fully understand him because he is so great. That challenged me because I, I guess in my estimation, I thought, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to know it all. I'm just, and Grudem said, oh, no. <laughs> because, and this is the scripture he used, and that's the thing I like about him. He'll give me this argument and he'll punch me with the Bible, you know. He's a Bible thumper. I like Bible thumpers. Psalm 145.3 says, His greatness is unsearchable. 1 Corinthians 2.10-12 says, Only the Spirit of God comprehends the things of God. Only the Spirit of God comprehends the things of God fully. But we know facts about God, but more than that, we can actually know God. And this is where I just start getting emotional, and I start thinking, Really? That Him, the amazing one, I can actually... I can actually know him. Listen, it's not know about him. Okay, I know about Governor Perry. I know about him. I could recognize him in a crowd. I listened to him uh, on CNN on the way home yesterday afternoon as he was giving a debate against Obamacare. And he's a whole lot smarter than what people give him credit. I mean, he, he's very eloquent. I was listening, I was like, I like that guy. And I, I, don't, I don't know him, but I like him. I, I know of... Thomas Jefferson, and I, I know facts about uh, George Washington, John Adams, but I don't know them. Listen to this. I know him. I know him. The amazing, awesome, almighty God that he is. And the only way I know him is he wants me to know him. And he's revealed himself so that me as a mere mortal, I would, I would know who he is. And to be able to follow his precepts and follow his ways. So that he gets glory. So that he is, he is praised. God is, he is knowable. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, we can actually know him. Listen to this. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Did you catch that? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Oh, man, let me, let me wipe my eyes off here for just a second. And it is, oh, it's almost 7.30. And so um, I'm just going to keep going, going hard. And, uh, and if you need, to, you need to leave, absolutely feel free to, to, to go. And I may give you some time for questions today. I may not. But if I don't, then I will stick around and answer some, some questions. That's what Ken Ham's going to do on November the 3rd. Y'all know Ken Ham's coming. Oh, son. It's going to be on, on. We, I wouldn't be surprised if we had protesters up and down the Jollyville because he's coming to Austin, coming to Great Hills. He said, Pastor, he's from Australia. This is what I do. He said, I'll come to your church at 11 o'clock. I would like for you to stand up and introduce me, and then I will begin. And that's what I'm going to do. There'll be no singing. There'll be no praying. But we are Baptists. We are going to have an offering. All right, but we'll take up an offering. And he gets up. And he starts at 11.05, and I want to tell you something, guys. It is absolutely amazing what this guy has in his mind and how he gives, he gives evolution fits and just who God is, and it is powerful. He comes back that night, and at 6 o'clock, from 6 to 7.20, all he does is lecture. All he does is speak. And then he said, I stick around, and I will stick around, and you can ask me anything you want about the, all the questions, all the big, the big questions. And I'm not a Bible answer man, but I know one. And that guy, is, he is amazing. I, I, it's going to be fun. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk and I'm going to answer questions. Good. Uh, and like any other created thing, 
we as humans are created in the image of God and we actually know Him. Listen to this quote. Indeed, this personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, help me, God the Holy Spirit, may be said to be the greatest of all the blessings of the Christian life that we might know Him. Not know about... I think our churches are full with a lot of people who know about God. And they know a lot of facts about God. But they don't know Him. They don't really have a relationship with Him where He leads them and He speaks to them and He directs them. Ooh, let's go. Number three. Number three. The attributes of God. The attributes of God. Now, we're breaking this down to incommunicable... That's a, that's a fancy word. You just don't get that word anywhere. I mean, come on. Incommunicable attributes of God and then communicable attributes of God. Thank you, Lynette Anthony. Bless you on the internet there. How are you doing this morning? I, I walked up to her office yesterday afternoon about 5 o'clock and I said, I'm going to practice on you. Is that okay? Because i got to teach tomorrow. And so I started giving her this lecture and see if I could pronounce those, those words. We did all right. What is the difference between incommunicable attributes and communicable? Incommunicable would be those attributes that are God's alone. Okay? He does not communicate, or He does not share those with us. For example, He is eternal. Raise your hand if you're eternal. <laughs> no. There was a time that you did not exist. By the way, there will never be a time that you don't exist. Two things are going to last forever. The Word of God and the people of God. Or the Word of God and people. So these are incommunicable, and I'm going to talk to you about some of these attributes, all right? Now, the communicable ones would be ones that God would share with us. When it says God is spirit, we can relate to that because we, we are of a spiritual nature. God is love. We can relate to that. We can love. Now, having said that, Grudem gives this caveat. He gives this little disclaimer. Don't press me too hard on this. Because there are going to be some transference, there's going to be some bleeding over where some of these attributes you could argue for are incommunicable or communicable. Keep that in mind because I know some of you, your mind's going to go, I don't know. That, that, should, that should be over here. And Grudem would say, you know what, you're probably right. And so he says, don't get so hung up on the technicalities that you miss what God's trying to tell you. Amen, Brother Danny. Amen. Don't get so caught up on technicalities that you miss the grander truth of, of who God is and what He's really trying to communicate to you, okay? All right, uh, the attributes of God, I've given you the distinction between incommunicable and communicable. Uh, the character of God, he, he reveals Himself. And, and one of the ways He reveals Himself is through the Hebrew names of God. Remember that? Elohim, Creator God. Yahweh, the eternal, self-existent uh, God who was, is, will always be Israel self revealing God. Uh, Je Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. Jehovah Mekadishkim, the, the Lord who sanctifies you. Sidkenu, the, the Lord our righteous one. All of those Hebrew names, ooh, they're talking about the one entity, the one being God, but has all these manifest attributes or characteristics of His nature. Even though He is one, He has revealed Himself in multiple ways and multiple names so that we could understand a different facet of who he is, because he's just, help me, he's just awesome, amazing. Okay. Oh, oh, oh let me give you this one too, because this, this is important. Um, let me talk to you about anthropomorphic language, all right? You say, who what? Who did he? What anthropomorphic language is, 
God using human analogies to describe who he is. Anthropos is the Greek word man. Anthropology, study of man, study of culture. So when God uses anthropomorphical language, it is an example of saying the, uh, the hand of God. God doesn't have a hand because what? God is spirit. Or the eyes of the Lord search to and fro, but I thought God was a spirit. This is anthropomorphical language. It is God using our language to help us connect and describe the indescribable, okay? So just, just tuck that little word in there. You, you never know. You may see it on Jeopardy sometime, all right? Anthropomorphical language. Other metaphors God uses is like lion. He is the lion, the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God. He is like an eagle who gathers her, 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 her little, little ones. He is a fire, a consuming fire. He's not really a fire, right? I mean, God's not a flame, but he is like... Unto, okay, I say all this to say God's knowable. He's knowable. He's, he speaks in our language and he wants us to know, he wants us to know who he is. Okay, so let's begin with the incommunicable attributes of God. Number one, if I were you in my outline for the test, I would put the word um, independence. Independence. You say, will there be a test? No, there won't be a test. Independence. Oh, listen to this. Listen to this. God does not need anything. He does not need anybody. He is. He has always existed in fellowship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have had this holy unity and fellowship and existence for all time, all eternity. He doesn't, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He is just awesome. But He creates us. And He creates this so that He could reveal how awesome He is so that you and I and the whole creation itself can just erupt in applause and praise because He is. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. Paul says in Acts 17, 25, Nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. Uh, John 17, 5, Jesus says, I speak of the glory I had with the Father before the world was made. He always has been, will ever be. He does not need anything, but He has chosen to have fellowship with us. Can you all see where this messes me up? I mean, there are times I'm studying this, I just start crying. Because it's like, I, I knew God, but as a result of this study, this class, it's like, I got to know Him better. Does that, does that make sense? That I, got, I, get, I feel like I'm getting to know Him better. And, and listen to this. The more I know Him, the more I love Him. And the more He reveals Himself to me, if I receive Him, the more He changes me into His image and the more I want to be like Him and the more I want to share Him with, with others. This verse right here, and, I, and I'll probably start wrapping it up here, but li listen to this verse. This great, awesome God who doesn't need anything, completely eternal, self-existent, awesome God says in Zephaniah 3.17 that He rejoices 
over us. Yahweh, that's the Lord, your Elohim, God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He rejoices over you. You and me with gladness. Listen, listen. He will quiet you with His love. He rejoices over us. Come on now. We're singing. That God, this God, thinks that much about you and me that He rejoices over us, He claps for us, He sings over us. How amazing is our, is our God. Wow. I think it's why we sing songs like we sing here. Just try it in a minuscule way. Try to just verbalize. Y'all see here lately why I've been like, church, please, please, please help me. Let's get in here early. If we have to, let's start a couple minutes early because he's waiting on us. He's so awesome. And I just, I just, I just want all of us to get in here as quick as we can and say, you are awesome. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of us, we come in about 10, 15, you know, 10, 20. We're like, woo, man, I'm tired. Man, that, that lesson was so good. We went to 10, 50 or whatever. No, 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 no. Let's come on. Let's, let's get in there and let's, let's get in there together as the people of God. And, and when Terry says, let's go, let's start singing. Man, just think, that God is awesome. You are so worthy. I think it would change the way we look at worship. If we knew Him. If we really knew Him and who He is and how awesome He is, and He invites us to come and worship Him. I mean, this is messing me up. You know what I'm saying? This whole study is really getting a hold of me because I'm learning more who He is, how awesome He is, and it makes me, it makes me love Him more. It makes me love the things He loves more, like His church and like lost people. Okay, we got five minutes, then we're, then we're out of here. Okay, so I'm going to stop. I don't want to because I got a whole lot of stuff I, I wanted to teach. I'm on page three, and I should have gotten to page nine. So, anyhow, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off last time. Anybody just want to say something about God? I mean, it, it, maybe you don't have a question. Or if you have a question, you just come and we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, you know, anybody just say, man, I'm about to explode at 8 o'clock this morning. I, I'm telling you, God is... Brother Danny, he's just... Some, somebody help me. He is awesome. What else is he? He's almighty. He's great. You did, did, you, did you see something today that maybe you hadn't seen about him before? Maybe God the Holy Spirit just spoke to your heart and he revealed truth to you through, uh, through, his, through his word. Any comments? Any statements? Any questions? We, like I said, we've got just a couple of minutes. I don't see the microphone. Maybe we don't need it. Maybe we just speak out loud. Yes, sir. Amen, he is. Is your name Mike? What is your name? Mike, amen. He, he is infinite in all of his perfections. He is. Yeah. Together. Mm. What an invitation. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins 
are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Our God is a God of invitation. Do you all know how the Bible ends? You say, God wins. I know that. I know. Revelation 22, 17, and the Spirit and the bride say, come on. He says, come, all of you who are thirsty, come, and I will, I will satisfy you. Thank you. Alex, right? Bless you. Alex asked that good question about book, chapter, and verse. Got a good answer for him. Found a good answer for him. So y'all ask me questions I don't know. I've got friends. I got friends in awesome, no, no, no. I got friends in good places, all right, um, who help me and, and teach me a lot. Okay, we've got three minutes. If you have a burning, just a question or, or something, you say, I got to speak this. I, I, I got to say it. Go ahead and say it. That's coming next week. The jealousy of God. It's, he listed under a communicable, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. The, the jealousy of God. God is jealous for us. Yes, he is. Ooh, can I say this about the jealousy of God? They're mine. Don't mess with them. That's, that's the way I look at it. God is jealous for me. I am his. Don't mess, don't mess with you. Don't mess with me. And he's jealous for his glory. He don't want to share his glory with another. And people say, well, I have a problem with that. He is just a, he is a, he's a proud deity. Let me, let me ask you this. Who else are you going to give it to? Who, who else is more worthy than him? And so is it erroneous for him to want what is best for everybody? And that's for him to be praised. I know I'm loud. It's just because I'm excited, y'all. It's just, it's, it's, it's not that I'm, yeah. Yes, sir. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who believes he is, he exists. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. He he is he rewards us as we seek him. I really think in twenty weeks, if you hang in here with it, I think you're gonna come out of this, I think you're gonna be very blessed. And it has nothing to do with the teacher or the curriculum. It has to do with the awesome one. Because he likes you being, he likes you seeking him. He likes you pursuing him with, with passion. One minute. Misha. Uh, I love when you say God is. Mm-hmm. And you fill in the blank. She, she said, I like the statement, God is. And I'm going to give you 20 attributes, communicable and incommunicable. But oh, my word, we, we could fill up the room with, <clears throat> with attributes of, of God. Here, here's another one I love, y'all. I'm supposed to get to this. I think it's next week. Oh, no, it's not. It's week nine. It's in Christology. When they, um, when, and, and God said to Moses in Exodus 3.14, and, and who am I supposed to tell them that sent me? You tell them. I am sent you. And then Jesus in John chapter 8, he goes, You're not even 50 years old, and you said you were before Abraham. 
And he said, I am. Woo, when he said that, they went. They reached for the stone because he was making himself equal with the great I am. Because you know what? He is the great I am. Awesome God that he is. Man, it's going to be so fun when we start studying the humanity and the deity of Jesus come together. Grudem says, more than the Trinity, more than uh, any other doctrine, the most difficult doctrine for us will be to get our hands around how Jesus could be fully God and fully man. And he just goes on and says, he says, there's things I just don't understand. I will never understand until I get to heaven. But I love that. I love that humility, that posture of humility. I found God can teach us a whole lot more when we're humble than when we're proud. Last question, David, then we're out the door. And that's not David. Who is that? Carol. Carol, you won the book. Do you know Bill Busker? You need to know him. He, he has a book for you, okay? And Eunice, Eunice, Eunice Gonzalez. That's a sweet, precious lady. Y'all know her? She is a saint of God. And um, she has the sweetest, kindest spirit about her. I can't wait to get you that book. You're going to love it. That book's going to weigh more than Eunice weighs. Yes, ma'am, Carol. 6.30 is early. <laughs> that's old dark. That's old darker 30. Oh, did somebody ask me something? Start, start at 6.30? No, no. Let's start at 6.45 and be done at 7.45. And maybe next, maybe next time we'll, we'll start. Instead of 6.45, we'll start at 6.44. How's that? Okay, good, good. All right, we're going to pray, and then we're going to send you out blessings upon blessings, okay? Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. Thank you, God, for their love for you. Lord, we are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you, the one God, the one true awesome God that can really satisfy and slate our spiritual hunger and thirst. God, we pray today. We ask in the strong, matchless, incomparable name of Jesus that you would use us today. That, Lord, our heads would be full, but, Lord, our hearts would be full and our hands would be ready, ready to serve, ready to help someone, ready to share the gospel, ready to share this great, this, share this great God that you are with everybody that we meet. Lord, we love you. We love our church. We ask you to make us, make us deep, make us wide, make us holy, make us the bride of Christ you want us to be. Help us to be, Lord, this radiant church that will shine brightly for you from here and throughout the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed.